The comments within the following podcast are those of any show hosts and not representative of any company in which the show hosts may represent. Welcome to the Technology Podcast. This is podcast number 350. I'm Jared Reimer, and I hope that you'll enjoy the program as much as I have bringing it together for you. I can't believe I'm at 350 episodes. I probably should be well over 400, but there was a time where I was not doing a whole lot of podcasting because everything was the same and I wasn't seeing anything new but that ended up changing in 2018 as some people know I talk about this and my thoughts on my 350th episode as well as reminding users although we're doing it here that we're having the following videos to catch people up cyber hygiene in an age of COVID-19 you know, we're still in COVID-19. While the video may have come out through Scott Schober's feed in June, it's not too late because you could probably get something out of it. I sure had a good thought out of it. 5G does not cause coronavirus. Here's why. A second video talking about the coronavirus in the 5G network, or lack thereof. And finally, I was sent this portion of a show from This Week in Tech's Leo Laporte as TikTok is being targeted by Trump. Whether you agree or disagree, it's a short segment on this topic no information has really been given one way or the other on what's going to happen with tiktok as of this podcast release and finally two other segments transit talks to the aac the aac is the accessibility advisory committee at los angeles metro I give my thoughts on it, as well as thanking the presenter, Katie Monroe, for coming to our meeting, even though it was virtual. And finally, Herbie Allen sent me a very interesting article. I take my spin on it here, but let's have a discussion on the security box this coming Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, on this very topic. Epic Games is mad, and really mad. Why? Well, because you'll just have to find out in the article. Suffice it to say, they violated terms of service really bad. And that is what I talk about in the final segment. Contact information will be made at the end of the program, Thanks for listening, and here are my thoughts on Podcast 350.
Welcome to podcast number 350. I can't believe I'm on 350 episodes. You know, I started this podcast March 2006, and I should be well over 400 podcasts, if not more. But there was a time where I wasn't podcasting a whole lot because of the fact that all I was seeing was breaches, and I was trying to find stuff else to do with the podcast plus life and other things. I'm not trying to compete with anyone. I don't care what my episodes are. I want to put out good quality content. And so if I didn't podcast more than, you know, 10 or 20 times for one year, then so be it. I'm happy that I'm still podcasting and providing content of various types. Well, I know that recently we've been covering a lot of security stuff, and I've recently started the security box, and that is all security. And this podcast will continue to cover a lot of the security landscape, as well as other tech as well. For those who are new, I hope that you will enjoy, and uh, feel free to check out anything here. There are some videos that I feel that I should bring up. A while ago, probably in June or July, there was a video called Cyber Hygiene During COVID-19 or In Age of COVID-19 by Scott Schober, who we've talked about his books on this podcast While COVID-19 is still strong as ever, California, Florida, Texas, and New York are the top four in that order as of Sunday. This virus is not going away, and I feel that some of this stuff may still be of value. 5G does not cause coronavirus. Here's why. This video was found later on after publishing an earlier video. This one is a little different than the one we published before. And Herbie Allen recently sent me a video which is a portion of a show on the Twit Network where Trump was talking about whether or not he could block TikTok. The videos range in different lengths and they're all of value. And I'm not going to pick sides whether Trump should ban it, you know, whether it's ended up being bought, and nothing is set in stone in regards to what's going to happen with that service. We talked about TikTok both on this podcast and the security box throughout the last several weeks. So I hope that you will enjoy these videos of varying links. And yes, I know I've got other videos in regards to 2020 predictions from Trend Micro. We've got other odds and ends too 
webinar COVID-19 email attacks evolving they're definitely evolving threats targeting web applications an anatomy of an attack and of course if anything catches your attention and you think we should have it feel free I know a lot of these items are webinars and they're definitely worth posting even though it's a lot later and I did this on purpose so that people can get them from the sources that we were able to get them from such as a webinar or YouTube or so forth uh, just because of the fact that I don't want to publish at the same time they do because it's their content and of course I give credit where credit is due so the trend micro webinars we've got an F secure webinar and I believe I have something else too which I didn't really cover I want to re-listen to it too to determine if that is worth covering as well uh, after these videos uh, you're welcome to comment or you can even stay tuned as I'll have more but I think these videos as I said are worth listening to and uh, they all have different points and we can discuss them the COVID-19 pandemic has affected each of our lives in so many different ways. Just thinking about the gruesome statistics, at this point, there's over 7.3 million cases that have been reported, tragically over 416,000 deaths around the globe as a result of this terrible uh, virus. Now, this pandemic also poses terrible risks from a cyber security perspective with many cyber attacks. And that's really the focus that I'm going to be talking about today and kind of drawing a couple parallels there. Hackers, we know they're targeting people's dependence on digital tools. And now just to set the stage, as I mentioned, I want to talk a little bit about hygiene and we're going to be contrasting both regular physical hygiene and the importance of having good hygiene with that of cyber hygiene and that way hopefully we can relate to this throughout our discussion here so again what are some of the benefits of just good hygiene well we know from a practical standpoint it prevents diseases um, we're accepted more in society nobody wants to be around somebody that's messy or sloppy or smelly that, that's just common sense um, and when we maintain our hygiene our confidence is boosted we have more self-esteem. We just feel good about ourselves. Good hygiene prevents poor health. It prevents pain and other ailments that many people are plagued with. Now again, now we're gonna be talking about good cyber hygiene and some of the benefits that we'll see as a result. Well, from the standpoint of the coronavirus, this pandemic, it kind of disrupted all of our lives. We weren't expecting this, obviously, from a, a global health perspective, from an economic perspective, from a political and, and social systems, the disruption there. The pandemic is really spread across the, the globe, over 213 countries and growing people that have suffered the virus and the, the consequences of it. Now, from a digital space, 
The unseen threat is the risk of cyber attacks. And since this pandemic has started over a couple months ago, it's grown tenfold, the cyber attacks. So that's an area I wanna to try to highlight a little bit. And the importance is talking about some of the cybersecurity measures that we could take right now that will help us to develop a good cyber hygiene, a good cybersecurity posture going forward. Now I mentioned digital technology and, and we think about it, we're all dependent upon digital technology, especially now more than ever. The internet is really the primary channel for human interaction. Think about that for a moment. The way that we work, the way that we hold meetings, even events such as this, it's incredible that we could be around the globe all connected through the internet. This is really the way we effectively communicate and hopefully it won't be this way forever, but for now, it looks like the new norm. Think about too, what else do we all communicate with? Our, our smartphones. Our smartphones are really one of the primary means of communicating. And what do our smartphones have on them? They're loaded with everything now. It's like a supercomputer. Our smartphones have Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, Bluetooth low energy, RFID, near field communication, and of course, cellular wide area network, cellular capability so we can actually talk and text and do all these amazing things to communicate with one another. Why do I mention that? From a hacker's perspective, as we turn to our smartphones and the internet, what are they doing? They're targeting wireless as a conduit to get into our smartphones, to get into our networks so they can cause problems, so they can cause havoc in our lives. And that's where we really wanna be uh, aware of. So cyber attacks, they're really preying on our reliance on these digital tools, as we mentioned, the internet, our smartphones, our laptops, our iPads, everything. And when I, when I mention digital tools, I want you to think outside of that also, besides just physical hardware, we think about certainly the internet, but also social media. It's important to realize we're so dependent on what? Where do we go for our news? Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, video conferencing as we're doing right now. So when we look at the world of cyber criminals, we have to realize they thrive in the digital world. This is where they excel at exploiting vulnerabilities and taking advantage of victims through cyber crime. Now, again, just to set the stage and some backstory might help you appreciate, a few years ago, myself personally and my company was targeted and was hacked repeatedly. And it was everything from my Twitter account was hacked. I received repeated DDoS attacks, which is distributed uh, denial of service attacks where they flood your website with repeated traffic so you can't have regular commerce and sell items on your store, which hurts a company drastically. Um, I had $65,000 stolen from our business checking account. It became a, a federal investigation, lots of paperwork, lots of time, lots of energy to sort it all out until eventually I was able to get the funds back. I even had my debit card and credit card personally and the companies targeted. And, and that was a real concern for me. So as the dust settled and this all unfolded, this hack, and I tried to disseminate what actually happened, one of the fears I had was the information that was compromised in my company and myself personally, where does it end up? Well, unfortunately, it ends up on the dark web. And that's important for us to understand that. And maybe just a little background on the dark web 
just so we can kind of uh, uh, understand it a little bit for those that are not 100% familiar with it. The dark web is, is the internet's underbelly. We could think of it that way. It represents roughly 5% of the entire internet. So it's a small portion of it in comparison to the internet as a whole. The information is not indexed by search engines. So it's hard to find many of the sites, which we're very used to. On the surface web, we do a quick Google search. We could find sites and, and navigate around quickly. So to access the dark web, users use what's called the Tor. And it's really just an anonymous browser that you use, just like we might use Internet Explorer, Google Chrome, or, or one of those browsers. This is specifically so we can access the dark web. And the Tor browser really just routes your web page requests through a series of proxy servers. And now it's interesting, these uh, proxy servers are really operated by, by volunteers around the globe, which is, which is fascinating. And using the Tor browser and the dark web, your actual IP address is not clearly identifiable or easy to trace. And, and that's good for an anonymity, isn't it? And the other benefit is the information is encrypted. So now let's contrast that and just think for a moment there. Maybe we could relate this to, a, I like to often relate it to a, a traditional robber. We think of a bank robber that that's, uh, goes into a bank and what do they typically have? They might have a gun and they might have a mask so nobody could see their face exactly. They have their getaway car parked outside and perhaps, we, perhaps their voice saying, hey, give me the you know, $10 million right now and they got the, the gun to the, the, uh, the bank attendant there. So if we think about the way a physical crime is, now let's contrast that for a moment to dark web. A cyber criminal using the dark web can remain anonymous. They're not seen. They're not heard. They're not easily traced as far as where their location is, as far as the crimes that they're committing. Their traffic, the data is encrypted. So how do you find these guys? That's what makes it so difficult and why cyber criminals gravitate toward using the dark web as their platform to buy and sell illegal things. And, and that's what's actually going on there. Any of us that have read a little bit or familiar with the dark web, or even if you've been on the dark web, it is a place, unfortunately, where people can buy and sell drugs and guns and all kinds of other illicit activities there. And oftentimes, to add to the anonymity, these goods and services are paid for in cryptocurrency and probably the most common cryptocurrency we're familiar with is Bitcoin. And what that is, is digital currency that allows these buyers and sellers to make transactions and yet remain anonymous. So we don't tie those Bitcoins to a particular person, giving anonymity to a cyber criminal. That's ideal for growing your empire there on the dark web. But again, we don't want to just talk all doom and gloom. How do we apply now some good cyber hygiene here so we can keep ourselves safe? Because that's really what we want to, want to contrast this with and have something, a positive spin on it. Well, each month myself, I have my email accounts scanned to see if any of my information appears on the dark web. Now, there's a lot of credit agencies out there. They were familiar with the four major credit agencies throughout the US uh, and other companies, private companies as well. They provide cyber monitoring or they often call it dark web monitoring as well. I personally um, work with a company called Cyberlytica. And what they do is every month they scan my email accounts and give me a report basically. And the key is I get an alert if 
any of my email accounts or any of my login credentials are compromised and end up on the dark web. I'll get a report and alert from Cyberlytic and what can I do? I can take action. That's what's the most important thing. We have the ability so we can actually respond. And the information you get in a report when you have dark web monitoring or an audit is what was compromised, uh, when did it happen, uh, even details about the specific breach, where your information ended up, and some positive things, action items and guidance, steps that you can take to remediate it. And, and for me, being proactive, if I know that my logging credentials, my email was compromised in a particular breach and I get alerted to that, guess what? I'm going to log right on and I'm going to change my password immediately. So that way, nobody can take advantage and take over my account. So having a good cyber hygiene uh, will allow you to respond when you have dark web monitoring. Important thing to keep in mind. Now, cyber criminals are targeting specific websites also that people are relying upon for information, especially during this pandemic. Health information, statistics, how healthy people are, who's sick, how many have passed away, how busy the hospitals are, where there's ventilators, where there's not, where testing can be done. So cyber criminals are taking advantage of this. They have actually targeted the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, uh, worldometer.info, if you're familiar with that. They provide some really good uh, coronavirus statistics. They've been targeted. The CDC, Center for Disease and Control. So many of these um, government agencies that provide us valuable information and news and updates and health warnings are being targeted by cyber criminals to take advantage of us. So we want to use caution. And, and other things too, if we think about just the internet as a whole, everything is connected to the internet and even our critical infrastructure. To some degree, there's been reports of specific targeting to critical infrastructure. And what do we mean by that? Uh, water plants, sewage plants, uh, the electric grid, gas, all these different critical infrastructures can be targeted where they're sharing information over the internet. And hackers are using that and cyber criminals are using that to exploit that with different types of attacks. And of course, sadly, healthcare providers, at a time of need when healthcare providers are trying to provide urgent care, and it could be in emergency rooms and recovery rooms, that's where cyber criminals are trying to exploit this and trying to monetize it. And it's very sad, but it is true. So everybody has to be alerted and aware so they can maintain their defenses and stay as secure as possible. Interesting, I was looking back at some research and it was discovered back in the month of February and March as this COVID-19 started to explode, it was interesting that also registrations and website registrations were up 569% things that were tied to these domains, tied to um, anything with COVID-19. And oftentimes they were used for different types of malicious uh, attacks and exploit or, or dispensing malware. So a fictitious website would be set up and it's usually a phishing attack, phishing attack that you'd receive in your email. So, you know, you're just receiving your email as I do every day. And now suddenly you find something, ooh, here's a supplier that has a hand sanitizer, or here's somebody that has a face mask. And you're like, ooh, I can't find them at the local store. You're tempted to do what? Click on that so you can actually get it. And then oftentimes that will be a redirect that happens and malware will be launched of different types of malware to the unsuspecting user that just clicks on that. So again, 
how do we stop for a moment and reflect upon this? How do we apply good cyber hygiene here? Well, I mean, the most obvious thing is don't be too quick to click. We're, we're all, when our mind is distracted, if we're a little nervous, we have fear, we're afraid we're gonna get sick, we don't have supplies, and we see an opportunity, we're very quick to click on that. Instead, if we wanna to go to the actual site, it's better to type in, in the actual browser, the specific website address that we're trying to get more information on, that would be more secure than clicking in an email with a redirect. And oftentimes these uh, offers are too good to be true. We, we've probably seen those. Miracle cure for coronavirus and all these other things. So if it states and it seems too good to be true, it probably isn't good and it probably isn't true. So again, don't be quick to click on there because that could be a major mistake there. Um, now, oftentimes we're thinking cyber criminals and we always focus in on the internet, that they're using the internet. And I mentioned wireless also to exploit different vulnerabilities and using technology in general. And that is true. But there are some examples where cyber criminals will also use hardware or other devices that may not even be as clear to us or may not be so obvious. So just as an, as an example, smart key logger. I thought this is interesting. Um, imagine a cyber criminal has access to your desktop at your home, at your office, maybe you're work, working remote at home and they come into your house and they simply plug in, right? Or it could even be your bank. I was at the bank recently and I noticed as I'm sitting there and the person behind their computer, I looked down toward my feet and they had a small computer there and the back of it, all the ports were exposed and open, USB and serial, everything, full access to it. So in the case of a smart key logger, they simply plug this little black box in between what? Your computer and your keyboard. Now, if you have a little box like this hanging off the back of your computer that goes to your keyboard and it's down on the floor, you probably wouldn't even notice it. I don't even think I would notice it. The average person's not going to, or it could even be somewhat disguised. It's just very generic. Nobody's gonna, it's not gonna stand out that much. But inside of this smart key logger is what? It's got a built-in Wi-Fi module. So it can actually record every single keystroke that you make on your keyboard and will wirelessly send this to the cyber criminal. That's scary. So it basically dumped everything that you typed today. Now, what, are, what do you type in over the course of a day, you may wonder? Well, a lot of things you type in. Uh, maybe you're logging onto your bank account or stock portfolio. Uh, it could be a password. It could be your date of birth. Maybe at some point you type in your social security number and answer to a security challenge question, whatever it is. So a, a key logger like that could be used effectively against you. So again, how do we apply good cyber hygiene here? Well, we wanna check anything physically. Do any cables look differently? Is there any type of thing plugged into your computer that you haven't seen before, a dongle that's hanging, anything suspicious? Stop and inspect it. And, and work it out to make sure that it's not something as, as a key logger like this here. Um, another common question I always ask people from a, a good cyber hygiene perspective, does your computer, does your tablet, does your smartphone have a physical passcode that you have to enter in before you're using it? Or do you have at least facial recognition or biometric fingerprints, something that adds a level of security to your device? That's very important and that's a good part of having good cyber hygiene. Now, cyber criminals, when we think about it and get into their mind, they often 
prey on our fear, they prey on our uncertainty. And over the past, past few months, I bet all of us have had questions that have put some level of fear or uncertainty into our life. Will I lose my job? How am I gonna pay my bills? What if I get sick? What if my family gets the virus? Something like that. So when our lives get turned upside down, we get distracted, cyber criminals will move in. Again, how do we apply good cyber hygiene here? Well, we have to think about using multi-factor authentication. If you're not doing it, start today. Not just for our bank or stock portfolio, but even if you're using Gmail, Yahoo Mail. Yeah, it may be free, but we wanna make sure that we're using two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. And, and remember, people often will choose convenience over security. And that could be a mistake there. We wanna be very, very careful. Another important part when we think about good cyber hygiene, do you realize that more than 50% of people reuse the same password across multiple sites? Ask yourself that question. Do you reuse the same password? Why? You shouldn't do that. Why do we do it? Because it's easy to remember. So again, what's good cyber hygiene? Create a unique password for each login. Every site you go to should have a unique login. Tough to remember these long passwords that are strong? Yeah, sure. Again, how do you improve your cyber hygiene? Use a good password manager. That can do wonders there. Very, very important. Take the time and use a good password manager. Uh, you can also improve your cyber hygiene by thinking about security challenge questions. If somebody asks you, what high school did you attend? Don't answer it honestly. Why? In two minutes, I could do a Google search and find out everybody's high school that they attended. Instead, use that as an opportunity to create a unique password there that only you know and only you remember. That would be very important. Now, there has been a tremendous rise in COVID-19 threats. In fact, Google just reported um, that cyber criminals are adapting their campaigns. The FBI just put out and issued reports, a series of alerts the past few weeks, warning businesses and the community. There's been significant increase in cyber threats. So a lot of these cyber criminals are targeting mobile apps and websites. Again, for what? Making you think about COVID-19 solutions. And all of this is used as scams or means to dispense malware. So use extra caution there. And one of the most popular ways is what? ransomware, different strains of ransomware that have evolved. So a good cyber hygiene, before you even fall victim of a ransomware attack, what do we wanna do? Back up your data regularly, because now they're targeting healthcare institutions, government agencies, and it's very, very important that we're careful there and back up our data. So the likelihood of cyber attacks will grow as we hear about these grim statistics growing and uh, those that keep getting this virus, unfortunately, but by practicing good hygiene, we'll stay healthy, we'll feel better. And the same is true if we implement good cyber hygiene. We can effectively embrace dig digital technology and the internet for good and fight back against cyber criminals. A fresh wave of panic about next-gen 5G technology has appeared in recent weeks linking the tech to the current coronavirus pandemic. But these conspiracy theories have been discredited time and time again. So there's no need to panic. There's absolutely no evidence that 5G has anything to do with the coronavirus.
feels like a lifetime ago CNET was exploring the debunked claims that 5G has harmful health effects. When we investigated this issue in August 2019, scientists and researchers continually demonstrated that 5G poses no risk to human health. Thousands of scientific studies have been performed looking at radio frequency radiation and its effects on human cells, animals like rats and mice, and human tissue including brain, skin and eyes. And there's literally mountains of data and mountains of research suggesting that there's no link between cell phone radiation and something like cancer. Now we're all cooped up in our tiny apartments, the 5G conspiracy theories are back with a vengeance. As 5G has become more widely adopted, baseless theories like the idea 5G causes cancer have gained more steam. And you don't need to take my word for it, just go to our YouTube video on 5G and check the comments section. There's plenty of colourful verbiage and repeated claims that I'm a paid actor. As the coronavirus crisis has worsened, the real problem has been, well, actual actors. Some very high profile actors who shall remain nameless have spread misinformation via social media to their millions of followers. And now we're seeing a fresh wave of 5G conspiracy theories take hold, except this time they've been linked wrongly to the coronavirus pandemic. And look, I get it, people are scared. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, there's been wave after wave after wave of misinformation and outright lies spread on social media networks like Twitter and YouTube and through tech services like Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp. And the extreme isolation, social scientists say, is seeing us overloaded with information. And we're trying to cling to any piece of information that might explain what's happening in the world right now. But there's absolutely no connection between the coronavirus and 5G. None. Zero. Absolutely nothing. And yet, there have already been real-world accounts of damage to 5G towers and physical abuse hurled at telco workers in Britain because of fears 5G might kill people or is somehow responsible for the spread of the coronavirus. These conspiracy theories are incredibly dangerous and downplay the actions all of us are taking right now to maintain social distancing and prevent the virus from spreading further. The coronavirus is very real and it can be incredibly deadly. Here's some of the misinformation spreading about 5G and the coronavirus and why it has no basis in reality. First up, people are dying from 5G and the coronavirus is just a cover-up. Hmm. There's literally hundreds of scientifically validated papers coming out every single day which shows the virus under an electron microscope or analyzes its genetic structure or tests for antibodies in human immune systems. The coronavirus, and look, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, the coronavirus is real. It likely started in bats and jumped across to humans. And people are dying. It's disrespectful to frontline medical workers that fight day in and day out to keep people alive to believe that the coronavirus doesn't exist. Coronavirus started in Wuhan where the first 5G networks were established. Nope, that's incorrect. South Korea and even some parts of the US had access to 5G in early 2019. And that's about eight months before the first cases of coronavirus were detected in Wuhan. This discredited idea first appeared on YouTube, popularized by a man who believes that an interdimensional race of reptilian beings called the Archons have hijacked the Earth. There was another video that suggested Africa, which doesn't have 5G, had avoided the coronavirus. But Africa hasn't avoided the coronavirus, so that's false. 
And there's plenty of nations without great 5G access that have seen huge coronavirus outbreaks. Take Italy, for example, which has one of the highest death tolls in the world, but not a huge penetration for 5G. 5G affects your immune system. No. There is no evidence that 5G wavelengths can harm the body. And there's no evidence that it can affect your immune system, your body's natural defense against things like viruses and bacteria. And it's true that the immune system is highly complex, but a number of studies have looked at how high-powered radio waves, like those used in 5G, might harm the body. Those studies have not found any evidence that immune functions are changed by 5G wavelengths. Still, even with all the evidence against the conspiracy theory, misinformation has been difficult to contain. There's been hundreds of videos on social media and a mountain of fake messages spread through services like WhatsApp in recent weeks. And those networks are now doing their best to stop the spread of misinformation. WhatsApp is limiting message forwarding, YouTube will stop recommending coronavirus 5G conspiracy videos to cut down on how much they are viewed, and Facebook and Twitter are pointing users toward trusted sources like the World Health Organization and the CDC to get information about the disease. Writing in the conversation on April 6, John Patrick Allum, a researcher at the University of Southern California, wrote, Many people are unintentionally sharing misinformation about COVID-19 because they fail to stop and think sufficiently about whether the content is accurate. That means that some of us, without even knowing, are sharing false claims, and we don't even know they're false. But what we do know is actually quite simple. The coronavirus is real challenging our way of life and it's putting an immense stress on our healthcare system. It's upended everything. It's caused businesses to shudder. What we should be doing right now is supporting the people on the front lines. We should be supporting doctors, nurses, scientists, researchers, all these people that are trying to keep the planet turning, that are trying to keep the world running smoothly. What we shouldn't do is believe and spread baseless conspiracy theories. That's the most damaging and disrespectful thing that we can do right now. And we're better than that. This is Twit. The president has wanted to ban a TikTok. Uh, he couldn't figure out a way uh, to do it. But I think he might have found a way with executive order. He's going to prohibit Americans from having any transactions with the parent company ByteDance starting September 20th. That means... Uh, TikTok can't pay influencers. Advertisers can't buy ads. TikTok's response to that is we will help influencers move to another platform. We will pay. It will make sure that everybody uh, we owe money to gets paid before September 20th. The plan B, and it's very unclear because the president goes back and forth on this, is to have some American company acquire at least the American operations of TikTok. Microsoft's been negotiating to buy the Australian, American, Canadian, and I think UK rights to TikTok. They have What's until the plan? 15th. plan? They'd rewrite it in .NET and that'd be effectively killing it? That's his genius, <laughs> plan. Give it like, to Microsoft. Bill Gates has said it's a poison pill. Bill he Gates did say that. I saw that, that interview, yeah. yeah. Really good interview with Bill Gates, by the way. Highly recommend that. Uh, where was that? I just saw it. Read it this morning. Uh, it was with Stephen oh. Levy. Was it in Wired? Yeah. Uh, you also have to remember that the way that the executive order was written, it, it, he knows he can't – you can't block it. And right. he doesn't even have the knowledge to understand how that would even be possible. So he's stopping financial transactions. The problem is the companies that he's trying to stop the financial transactions with own 
like 60% of the gaming landscape. Yeah. Or they have interest in 60% WeChat and Tencent. And the other problem uh, is he had to declare a national emergency. So apparently TikTok is now a national emergency. Oh, excellent. Uh, Not COVID-19, not Russian efforts to influence the election. Uh, Sometimes I feel like maybe this is – I feel like there's a larger agenda from the White House. It has to do with the trade war. It has to do with pay no attention to Russia. I'm not celebrating the Chinese government. Uh, they're repressive. Yeah. What they've done to the Uyghurs is shocking and disappointing, and uh, you know, it, you know, horrible. Uh, and and there was some evidence that maybe TikTok was doing something to uh, keep black creators down or to keep overweight people. Although I see plenty of overweight people on TikTok now, so they clearly fixed that algorithm. Um, I I just don't see TikTok as that big of a threat, and I. I'm a little disappointed for the creators who found this incredible medium to make something really amazing. And I often even feel like maybe the president doesn't like the fact that he's being made fun of on TikTok and that TikTokers bought or registered for his Tulsa uh, campaign rally didn't mm-hmm. show up. And it seems to be personal. He says, but it totally makes sense because I mean, if you ban TikTok, those people will totally not go anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, they'll just yeah. they'll well, stop. Remember with right? Ryan? Twitter closed Vine, and that became a lot of the, the huge YouTubers now. Well, by the way, that's the other chilling story that Twitter is trying to get TikTok, which that's if the best thing to do if you want to kill TikTok. Just give it to Twitter. <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah, good thing Twitter never had anything like TikTok. Ay, ay, ay. Actually, Twitter is not doesn't have nearly the money that to, it would no. take to buy TikTok. It, it, TikTok's going to be well over $30 billion if it, if it is sold to uh, Microsoft. And it, the whole thing is interesting. Like you could ban TikTok the same way that the Great Firewall bans Twitter and Facebook just by preventing the app from being downloaded and firewalling off the servers. But how how do you like separate it out so that I am I'm on Canadian and American TikTok. You're on UK TikTok. Can we not see each other anymore? Yeah. Can we? But the data is stored somewhere else. It's just unclear. There's just so many questions that people who don't have no idea how software and services work. Seem to want to manipulate. People have accused me of saying, oh, you're soft on China. You're giving a pass. And apparently there were big fights in the White House over that as well. But I just don't see TikTok as a threat. There are some serious threats that are being completely ignored from Russia uh, on Facebook and Twitter that are just being uh, downplayed and ignored. While while TikTok seems to be the poster child for problems. And incidentally, it won't stop with TikTok. This is really about Chinese products and Chinese apps. On August 13, 2020, a transit app representative named Katie Monroe came to talk to the Accessibility Advisory Committee thanks to me in regards to transit app and how it works. While there wasn't any accessibility demoing done in that particular meeting, it was quite interesting to note how accessibility has been taken into mind. Even wheelchair users are able to utilize this app and with the just release feature dealing with knowing how full your bus is, you can now determine what is 
going on in this strange world we're living in. At the current time, we are unaware whether it is accessible, but changes are still being made. I've been promoting transit for quite a while, and the website is transit.app. And it is a great app. You can learn more about it by going over to its website or if you find the show notes in which Transit App has been demoed, you can request the older podcasts. You can still go to transitapp.com if you have that bookmarked because it still goes to the same place. This company is based in Canada and I think they're doing a great job with what they're doing. I recently had an issue which I've talked about in that meeting where the Go system which we've demoed on this podcast was broken. It wouldn't let me select my stop and therefore I didn't get my stop announcement. That was fixed pretty quickly and was pushed out within a week. Now if that's not dedication to accessibility I don't know what is. I'd like to thank this opportunity to thank Katie for coming to our meeting and talking to the entire group. This app may not be for everyone and I get that. One particular user in the meeting talked about how the app wasn't quite right in the trip planning phase and they know they've got work to do. And I've never used the transit app personally for trip planning. I mean, I've done it when just going from, let's say, here to a Van Nuys location. At the time, you all knew, if you listened to the podcast long enough, where I was going. But today, it doesn't matter because we're hardly going anywhere. Suffice it to say, at the time that I was using it, it did work for that short trip. But for longer trips, it seems to have some issues, and it may have issues in other areas where it picks a route that you know better than it does, but yet it doesn't have that particular route as an option. For example, just to go downtown where Metro Headquarters is, I would have to take line 601. It's a shuttle bus. That bus goes to the North Hollywood uh, 
uh, Transit Center connection at Canoga. So that connection point is at Canoga and it goes to North Hollywood via a busway called the Orange Line. So what they want me to do is actually walk all the way to that transit point, that North Hollywood transit point at Canoga for the Canoga Station Orange Line Transitway. Now, honestly, I don't know how far that is. It says it's 1.4 miles when I've inquired. And I could walk it. That's not a problem. But I have no idea how far that is. I would have to probably use my map. But frankly, I think it would be better to just take the bus. So, there's always improvement in the way that apps in general give directions, right? <clears throat> the Go Metro app, which has now been discontinued because of the partnership with Transit, which we talked about back in March or April, I think it was either April or May. Um, we definitely know that Transit App is good in trips and your metro agency may allow you to use Google Maps for Transit or Apple Maps for Transit if you wish to do so. Katie made it a very good point that there's no money changing hands. As the press release talked about, they, being Metro Los Angeles, are saving $240,000 in development costs. So, Transit App has been in this business a while. Why not just make it the official app? I wholeheartedly agreed, and I could not be any prouder to be working with a company like Transit App that actually has things for all kinds of disabilities for them to be able to get around including Lyft, Uber and so forth and knowing where cars are and if you select Lyft or Uber you then enter your destination and then it opens the app so you can go ahead and book that trip. And you can see how far cars are away from you. And that is kind of awesome. What do you think of Transit App? I want to hear from you. Have you used it in your market? How does it work in your market? Have you contacted them for any support? And what was your experience? Let's talk about this app and how it could benefit all of us in the disability community or not.
Kirby Allen sent me an article, and it's a very interesting article. I'll cover this on both sides for this podcast, but for the security box, look for this to be talked about in a different way. According to a website called Apple Mill, looks like Epic Games is going after both Apple and Google. And it's gotten so bad that the decision that both Apple and Google made to pull Epic Games' Fortnite game from their stores is causing Epic Games to turn around and sue them. Now, the blatant violation of terms of service whereby Epic Games went around the rules of charging their customers for in-app purchases directly or downloading their games directly through an application is a violation of terms. The in-app purchase must be done through the platform in which you are being obligated to host your game. They are allowing you to host your game. And in exchange, they take a fee from your purchase. Now, Epic Games decided, according to the article, to go ahead and basically have an app that will install their game and you make their purchases you make your purchases through them which is a blatant violation at least of Apple's terms according to what I know now here's how I would do it I would turn around and I'd tell Apple and Google look your prices <clears throat> that you take that you know from us we don't believe it's fair you know we charge this and you take that so you charge us this and we still have to pay our developers and we still have to do this and we still have to do that and that's how they really should have handled it but instead they blatantly violated the rules of Apple by developing something that would bypass their in-app purchasing or the purchasing of the app from the Apple Store. Now, if I had a problem with a company like this, I would want to talk to the company.
right? If I were a company and I was not happy with Apple's fees or Google's fees, I would be sending an email and saying we need to talk because this isn't fair anymore and lay out what's bothering you and let the company work with you. I'm sure I've covered Epic Games on the podcast before. And the question of whether we should sideload apps on an iOS device is sure worth the topic. I personally think that if it's done correctly and trustworthiness is there then I could support it but we all know too well that Android has been well open and they have every right to be but the problem we have here is that they have had a lot of malware problems and virus problems and Trojan problems and all sorts of problems because they have been open for so long. The Apple ecosystem has these problems. I'm not saying they are not having these problems. But they do have these problems. They're not so well known. Those problems might be outside the United States. And specific apps. And each ecosystem is trying the best they can. Now Windows, starting with 8, according to what Herbie told me, has had an app store. Now, for those of us who've been around for many, many years, we have had the joyous pleasure of downloading any application we want because when Windows 3.1 came around and I installed Window Eyes, Window Eyes was not part of any application store. It was on a floppy disk and you installed it. it Windows has always worked that way. Now, I'm not a Mac expert. I don't know if Macs always had an app store and someone who has one can comment on how it's been, if there's always been an app store or whether you could install applications on, on your own computer. I believe now everything has to go through the Mac app store, but I'm not aware of how it's been before. I only used the Mac for a couple of months and in fact my Mac memory on how to really use it 
I is is slim. I could probably pick it up and I could quickly figure it out. But I honestly don't remember a whole lot. And my Mac knowledge is very limited anyway because I only learned basic internet stuff to be able to utilize it for internet specific tasks. So I don't have any knowledge of installing anything onto a Mac. So your help with that would be greatly appreciated. But I do know the iOS ecosystem has always had the App Store and unless you jailbroke your phone you were on the App Store. And honestly, I think it should be that way. Now, I'll open it up to the security box for discussion on how they feel about it. Do you think sideloading is a good idea or a bad idea in regards to any ecosystem? Now, we know Windows has had malware, trojans, and ransomware, and all sorts of problems for many, many years. We still have problems. There's, you know, the the uh, Windows update uh, has had over 100 bugs fixed in various applications in the last six months. Over 100 bugs in the last six months. And so we're talking a crap load of bugs. But that came with the ecosystem. Windows is like Android. Now there is an app store now and it's interesting to say the least. But I don't think Microsoft is going to change that because it'll break a lot of Windows applications, including access technology software. All kinds of access technology software, not just screen reader software or even uh, software that could help us, a person that uses a switch or even a magnifying so uh, software, but all kinds of software would be affected. N and legitimate ones at best. So I don't think that's going to change. I don't think the iOS ecosystem is going to change. I don't think Android's ecosystem is going to change, although iOS, I think, has it made. If you jailbreak your phone, you don't have a warranty. At least that's what I've heard anyway. And of course, Android has its own problems. Android, you can jailbreak your phone and install these various apps, but then you've got software updates that Google pushes out to uh, fix bugs and update the operating system and bring new features as a whole. But Google 
can't push the update to everybody who has phones. The only updates they can push out are to their own customers who bought their phones. And Apple, it pushes to everybody who has an Apple phone. Mac, they push the updates to everybody who has a Mac. Microsoft pushes Windows updates to everybody who has Windows. Google can't do that because there are many carriers uh, that have phones from different manufacturers and those manufacturers don't push out the updates. And that too can lead to a whole bunch of problems that I'm not going to cover here. I'm going to take the uh, notations from the security box when I put this podcast together and I'll modify them for this podcast but software as a whole you know each one has their strengths and weaknesses each person's going to choose what they want but if you can't keep it up to date no matter which of these you're going to use you're going to have problems and Epic Games just made this a big, huge problem that they could have solved by t- contacting the companies with their concerns. You know, they're on practically every platform. They took over Steam, according to the article. Steam has a bunch of games. I don't know much about them. I, I've, I've read about some of their stuff. I don't know what other titles Epic Games has, but if this is the way they're going to go because they're angry at fees and such, then I don't want to have any business with them, whether I could play their games or not. This, is, this has nothing to do with blind versus sighted. If I could play those games... And I found out that you're going to start suing your companies because of fees they charge. Because they have to, you know, make some sort of money to keep the store running. If that's what the money is used for. Then we've got bigger problems on our hands. podcast everybody email imessage tech t-e-c-h at m-e-n-v-i dot o-r-g that's t-e-c-h at m-e-n-v-i dot o-r-g text or whatsapp 804-442-6975 if you don't have imessage you can send a text message to 804-442-6975 or use the phone number to send me a whatsapp voice or text message if you are on whatsapp if you are listening to this through the mix, because we do from time to time play our podcasts on the mix's independent channel, 
you can contact me through the Mix's contact information. And since we've talked about the box, the security box can also be found on the same RSS feed. And that contact information, email, iMessage, J-A-R-E-D-R-I-M-E-R at 986themix.com can be used there. I use the same text message and WhatsApp phone numbers for that, but I do have my own address for the mix if you choose to utilize that. The choice is yours. Coming up on a future podcast, I hope that we can have an update on TikTok because the time is ticking on what's going to happen. So hopefully in a future podcast, we'll find out what is really going to happen with TikTok. We may have some other webinars that took place in late 2019, early 2020 that I've not bothered to put up because I wanted them to be able to be first grabbed. F-Secure, Trend Micro, and other webinars that I've had that could probably go out about now. The information could still be valid. Maybe you could talk about what you've seen from the early predictions and other stuff that might be uh, of value what the webinar talks about. So hope you'll continue to stay tuned here to the tech podcast. We may even get some Braille 2000 updates very soon in regards to uh, any potential updates and, of course, anything else that might happen in the assistive technology portion of the tech world as well. Have something you would like to submit to us? Feel free to send it by email and it will be looked at and possibly talked about. Feel free to let me know what's on your mind. See you on another edition of the Tech Podcast really soon.